The following is an encore presentation of Hemp Present. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected. CannabisRadio.com presents NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. The National Cannabis Industry Association is the only national trade organization representing the businesses of the legal cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice covers a range of topics, including the rapidly evolving political and policy changes that affect our industry, news and events of importance to cannabis professionals, and features on companies, individuals, and campaigns at the cutting edge of the cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice begins now. Hello, thanks for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore, and I'm the Communications Projects Manager at the National Cannabis Industry Association. It's my pleasure to introduce my guest today, Adam Smith of the Craft Cannabis Alliance, and so much more, based in Oregon. Great to have you on the show today, Adam. Oh, Bethany, thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to talking more today about what's going on in Oregon, uh, but let's let's start by learning more about you and your background and what kinds of experiences uh, you had before getting involved in the cannabis industry. Ah, that's, uh, that's a lot of years to cover, so we'll do it quickly. Um, I really come from the drug policy reform movement originally. I got involved in mm-hmm. drug policy reform in the early 90s uh, and ended up um, in the early days at a place called Drug um, Drug Reform Coordination Network, DRCNet, which is now StopTheDrugWar.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started publishing a weekly news magazine covering the drug war and drug policy from the reform perspective. Um, and it was really early in the days of the internet, and there wasn't anything like that out there. And so it really became um, an interesting center where we were covering and getting, I was getting to interact with and speak with people doing needle exchange and prison reform and cannabis and psychedelics. And it was just incredible experience. Um, And uh, during that time, uh, Clinton, uh, President Clinton signed the Higher Education Act, which eliminated federal financial aid eligibility uh, for any student for any drug conviction. So if you had gotten Mm -hmm. popped with a dime bag when you were 15, you were lifetime now ineligible for federal financial aid. And so we launched... um, a campaign, we put out a resolution and we launched a campaign through students uh, that were on our list and, and sent them a resolution, said, go to your student governments and your administration and get them to sign on to this. And the response was amazing. And we had dozens of campuses started to organize. And out of that, uh, we launched something called Students for Sensible Drug Policy, um, which is you know still around and, and some of your listeners may know or may be alumni. Um, and it's yeah. now in 30 countries, which I did not grow it to that. Um, but so that's my, that's where I come from. And in the years in between, I've done other nonprofit work in civic engagement and uh, expanding vote by mail. And I've worked for labor unions. Um, but the, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, when things got legal here, uh, I got really interested in diving back into drug policy um, and was watching uh, watching the industry begin to emerge here from the medical community and from the illicit world. And, um, and it became clear that we needed to organize. Uh, and so we started the, um, we started the craft cannabis Alliance and um, now uh, I won't get too far ahead since I, we're going to, I guess we'll talk about that, but that's, that's really my background. And so I come to this from po- the policy side. Uh, but I think that how, um, legalization happens and how the industry emerges is really important on the policy side as we look to end the drug war in addition to uh, making cannabis available to folks. 
Yes, that is great. I love hearing that. Um, I'm, I'm familiar with uh, Stop the Drug War. And of course, I think a lot of people in the industry have heard of SSDP, Students for Sensible Drug Policy, which is uh, headed up currently by the lovely Betty Aldworth. Betty Aldworth. She's oh, doing we, great. We're so happy to have her. And have we love her. Betty. Yeah, <laughs> we do. Uh, I'm going to speak to her tomorrow. I'm doing a podcast with Betty tomorrow on Marijuana Today with uh, Chris Lolliker and, and uh, Grassroots Dan Goldman. And so I'll be talking to Betty. Oh, that's great. Oh, yeah. So um, SSDP is a great organization to support um, if you're looking to support an organization that's not industry per se um, and you want to you wanna do kind of the grassroots stuff. SSDP is literally creating the cannabis industry's future leaders. Uh, some of these people are probably going to go into policy or start their own businesses or in some way, shape, or form, do something once they graduate college <laughs> to serve the cannabis industry. So um, that's great. Th thanks for uh, telling us about your background there. Um, so you, you mentioned you uh, got curious about cannabis again once legalization in Oregon hit and you formed the Craft Cannabis Alliance. Is that right? That is, that is true. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. I, I had a little detour from policy uh, and did some work with a friend of mine who's in the wine industry and he was bringing uh, craft beer and artisan wine from Oregon and the Pacific Northwest to Hawaii. And I got to go over there and do a bunch of work with that. And it became clear to me what the craft brand meant and what the Oregon brand meant. And, and, um, and so when I got back from doing that, uh, everyone was talking about, oh, this is Oregon's next great craft industry. Mm -hmm. And I sort of looked around and thought, well, maybe, or it could end up being, you know, a dozen Canadian agribusinesses that wipe everybody out and that mm. seem to be headed possibly in that direction. And so um, as an organizer, um, I thought, well, we should lift up the craft industry. We, we have it here, right? And, and But the first thing we need to do is, is identify what that is. We sort of know it when we see it. And it really came down to um, folks that had companies that were that were majority locally owned, that were connected to communities and that um, shared a set of values. And those values really came down to um, people who are committed to ethical business and employment practices, to sustainability, uh, to positive community engagement and to ending the drug war. And if you were local and you um, and those were values you shared, then then as far as we're concerned, you are part of the craft industry here. And so um, and so we started to do that and do that organizing. And initially we thought, well, you know, we should tell Oregonians that there's a difference um, between you know, everything is grown in the state, right? But there's a difference between between um, cannabis that's grown um, by local farmers and cannabis that's grown, you know, by a Toronto bank account. I mean, no offense to the Canadians uh, who are our friends, but, uh, and that folks should support the local, which is actually uh, a real strong Oregon value, right? We, we really do support local businesses. And so we thought we need to let people know that, that there is a local industry here that's values driven. Um, but over the first three harvests or so, um, the glut became so bad uh, that it became clear that even if every Oregonian in the state bought nothing but local, it still wasn't going to save the local industry. They're just the prices mm -hmm. had crashed. And, you know, it, it's interesting. Oregon, when we legalized cannabis, we did something. Oregon did something that was very wise, I think, and very Oregonian, which is we legalized the industry we had. Right. Oregon and Northern California have been the producers of the, the vast majority of domestically grown cannabis for as far back as anyone can remember. Mm -hmm. Right. And so 
By the time Oregon legalized for adult use, they had a 20-year medical. We had a 20-year medical program here, and mm-hmm. gener- literally generations of growing, you know, before that. And uh, and so we had 3,500 registered medical growers, and we knew we had thousands of unregistered growers. And the state, rather than try to go corporate and say, show us that you have $20 million and you can have one of a dozen licenses, they actually, Oregon made licenses cheap and unlimited and actually ran a marketing campaign aimed at growers that's called Go Legal. Hmm. And the message was, we know you're out there, whether you're registered medical or you're not registered at all, come in out of the cold, come be part of the legal industry. And yeah, and that was important because because cannabis has been such an important economic driver in some of the poorest um, rural and agricultural regions of the state, and it, particularly since um, since timber sort of went out, right? And so this was this was important. And so rather than try to wipe that out, which of course eighty years of prohibition do, they invited it in, and and thousands of people jumped in and and put everything on the line to be part of this legal industry. Um, but what we didn't think through entirely when we is that when we legalized the industry we had here, the industry we had here was an export industry, and had always been an export industry. And suddenly, gotcha. yeah, suddenly all of that cannabis and more was now hemmed into a market of three point nine million people. And oh my goodness, we have a million extra pounds of cannabis. How did that happen? Right. right? And so now we start talking about, oh, there's an oversupply problem. Um, But the framing on this is important. It's not really an oversupply problem. It's a market access problem, right? And, you know, because if we could, if if cannabis, like every other legal product that is produced in this state, if cannabis could be um, sent into other markets that desire it, we would need every ounce of cannabis we could produce under current licensure, and we'd probably have to expand licensing here. Yeah, gotcha. So Craft Cannabis Alliance is working to focus on the craft Oregon growers and support that locally controlled craft industry is what it sounds like. Right. You know, and it's not just growers, right? It's it's producers. um, You know, it's all license types. But the the truth is what we're looking at is that Oregon and, and Northern California are really the only sort of indigenous scaled up producing region in the country right and so there's something here that is um that's important that's connected to communities that is connected to this incredible talent base and this incredible terroir to grow some of the world's best cannabis and you know because of this oversupply and the price crash because of um you know the glut we are the folks that are really hurting here and the folks in California, I think that are going to be facing the same thing soon um, are the locals are the folks that don't have access to capital markets. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we have, you know, when, when the oversupply problem happened, I, I started to say, you know, the framing is important because if we call it oversupply, then the answers we come to are all, all hurt farmers. How do we have fewer of those people or fewer licenses and how do we make them produce less? But when we understand that it's a political problem and a market access problem, right. the answers we come to are, are more expansive. They are, how do we get our political leaders to stand up with us and demand that we be able to access other markets as we have always done Absolutely. with cannabis from Oregon. And so, uh, and so we began the process of moving toward uh, licensed interstate transfers between legal states. Okay, thanks everybody for tuning in. Until next time. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. Trends and technology, processes and products. We cover these areas and more on the cutting edge of cannabis. 
Be informed from the latest initiators of new innovation. Learn about the latest breakthroughs and best practices in the cannabis and hemp industries. Better products, better infrastructure, and better sustainability. The Cutting Edge of Cannabis, consulted by the American Cannabis Company. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Dazed and infused. Join sugar industry expert Latham Woodward for a happier hour each week for a lively and often hilarious discussion on the infusion of cannabis into food, beverages, and life. Explore exciting new culinary landscape trends with fascinating friends and guests who are leading the industry into the uncharted mainstream. Discover curated menus, enhanced cocktails, and live tastings. Life's a little sweeter here on Dazed and Infused. The following is an encore presentation of Hemp Present. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice only on CannabisRadio.com. Hello, thanks for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore, and I'm the Communications Manager at the National Cannabis Industry Association. Today, I'm happy to introduce my guest, Ari Cohen. He's the Vice President of Operations with Dixie Brands. Dixie Brands, also known as Dixie Elixirs, is a Colorado-based producer known for their infused beverages, edible products, tinctures, topicals, and so on. Welcome to the show, Ari. Thank you for having me on, Bethany. Absolutely. So let's get to know you a little bit better before we hop into all things cannabis. Tell us more about your background and what kinds of experiences you had before you find yourself serving the cannabis industry. So I come to the industry with a uh, food background. I'm a classically trained uh, chef. I went to the French Culinary Institute in New York City and spent 10 plus years working in fine dining in New York. Uh, That culminated in a position as a corporate chef in a company that I helped grow from uh, five restaurants to 220 globally in 19 countries with uh, six production uh, commissaries around the world. Uh, After that, I kind of left to go do something else amazing and joined an airport group, spent some time in the airport world in New York uh, with OTG management, a leader in the the space, uh, and then ran a, a bakery group and did a lot of different consulting for different food and beverage uh, brands, mostly New York, but some global brands as well. Um, spent some, a lot of time working internationally, um, Israel, uh, Belgium, France, Mexico City, Turkey, Japan, England, a bunch of different countries. So coming into the industry with a bunch of uh, food experience and global experience. Yeah, that sounds great. Getting a chance to be jet set all around the world and, and enjoy all the most delicious food the world has to offer sounds amazing. Yeah, it was fun. Good training for what I'm doing now, for sure. Great. Yeah. So that brings me to the question of what what made you 
make the leap into the cannabis industry. Some people have uh, an inspirational moment or light bulb moment or a passion. What's yours? How, how did you get involved? I actually, I think I saw the restaurant industry change, changing over the years, uh, not necessarily for the better, um, especially on the side that I was in, in fine dining and fine food. Uh, it seemed to be a rush to the bottom and quick service food, um, which wasn't really my style as much. Um, there was a life change point where my wife and I decided we didn't want to live on the East Coast anymore. We had been um, East Coast residents for over 40 years right outside Manhattan and uh, decided we really didn't want to live anymore. We actually really wanted to live in Colorado uh, for the outdoor lifestyle. We're both avid skiers and snowboarders. I wanted that lifestyle for our young daughter. So we decided to move out to Colorado. I was doing some consulting at the time and um, came out here, was kind of looking at the hospitality industry and the cannabis industry at the same time. Had a close friend that was in the industry in Oregon uh, and just, you know, kind of advised me to stick with what I know. And I connected with some people here in the industry. Um, some people welcomed me with some open arms and, and also advised me to just stick with what I know um, and, and kind of share my expertise with the brands here. And it and that's what I did. I networked into the industry around the same time I was looking at hospitality. And I think there just came a day where I decided, you know what, I'm not really interested in the hospitality industry anymore. I'm going to focus on the cannabis industry. And within, uh, I think it was within a week, I landed at Dixie Brands. So, nice. That's that. a great story. And yeah. I can totally relate to needing to escape from the East Coast after, after too long <laughs> being from the DC area and uh, moving here to Colorado about a little over five years ago. It okay. is, it, it's a breath of fresh air. <laughs> it is. It's been a great two years for us. That's about as long as we've been here now, a little bit over two years. And it's been awesome. We truly love it here and call Denver and Colorado home. So. That's great. That's lovely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we had a really good snow season this last winter from what I understand. I don't personally ski or snowboard, but that's what I hear. <laughs> it's been great. I've been able to start in October and hoping to end again this year in June or July. We'll see how oh, it goes. Oh yeah. That's yeah. wild. Yep. Uh, all right. So, all right. So now you're the vice president of operations at Dixie Brands. Uh, let's learn more about your role and your day to day and, and what the company up to. Cool. So I lead the day-to-day -day operations here in Colorado and then our, our uh, global scaling um, for our cannabis brands. Um, so I have our production facility here that I kind of oversee those operations and uh, lead the team um, in logistics and production and warehousing and science. I'm also responsible for purchasing and, and kind of overall people. Uh, that's kind of been my role. A uh, big part of what we've been focused on now is uh, expanding into new states. We just launched um, a couple of days ago in Michigan with product for sale. We actually have product uh, sold today for the first time in Michigan. So Yay, Michigan! Thank you very Woo! much. Thank you. Spent a, a couple, some days in Michigan over the last couple of months. Uh, it's been a great time. We have a great team there. Um, and really exciting to be launching Michigan. We have focus on uh, Canada, a couple of states I'm not allowed to talk about right now, but we also have a huge <laughs> focus right now in uh, California and mm -hmm. growing our brand there and building inventory and, and selling there. So we just won uh, best uh, beverage in California with the High Times Dope Cup for our fruit punch, uh, which is uh, one of our core product categories and elixirs. So that was a big win for us, for us to almost a nine-year-old company and still winning on our core flagship products awards is really great. It's a great feeling for all of us here. So we definitely celebrated that when we heard about it the last couple of days. 
Yeah, that's great. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Oh, yeah. How big is the company now? Uh, you know, like 100 people? We're, we're getting close to 100. We're, yeah. we're 70 plus here at the uh, production facility and in our corporate offices. And then we have our two CBD brands. Um, so there's a handful of more people there. But we're getting close to uh, 100 and we're busting at the seams here and looking for new corporate offices in Denver. Yep. Yep. We can relate. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. And Michigan is so exciting. I got to spend some time there recently uh, as NCIA teamed up with the Michigan Cannabis Industry Association and held an event here in late March uh, in Lansing and got to meet. Oh, that event was great. It was, it was a little extra special because they were celebrating uh, all the progress they've been making. Uh, so there was over 400 people in that room. It was wow. really wild and everyone is just so excited and proud, but also nervous as they should be um, sure. as, as they wait for regulations to get written and decided upon. And, and there's just so much, it's so exciting because Michigan is what the second largest market behind California. Uh, it's a big state up there. People people don't realize how big that state is and how, how many people live in that state. So there's a huge market opportunity up oh, there. Definitely. Is. I think there's over 300,000 medical patient, patients in Michigan, which makes it the largest medical state, I think, after California, if not yeah. equal to it with the medical count. Yeah, right. That's and, very and exciting. Sure. And Michigan's uh, still going through some growing pains with the medical program as they transition from the caregiver model. Uh, so some dispensaries that have been there for almost a decade are still waiting for their medical license and they have this threat of being shut down. And, and so there's still a lot of uh, unknowns happening, but I think the long term is very exciting, very uh, inspirational for people that have been in this movement for a long time. And, and uh, it's pretty exciting to see what I think I've said exciting like 10 times now, because it is, it's super exciting. So oh, we'll it totally see, is. We'll yeah. see, we'll see where Michigan's at, you know, a year from now after all the regs are written and rolled out and uh, oh, it's going to be wonderful. So congrats again to Michigan and and uh, and everyone that was involved in the, in the campaign there too to change the laws really really good yeah oh well so uh, but most of the business for Dixie uh, originated here in the state of Colorado in uh, Denver is that right that's correct yeah we started here in Colorado over just about nine years ago we're about a month away from our nine year anniversary. Um, which we'll be celebrating um, here in Denver. And yeah, that's a, that's a big win for us. We've, you know, scaled here in Colorado and now we're taking what we've learned here and, and our expertise and bringing it to other states. It's It's been actually really great to walk into, you know, a dispensary in Michigan or in California and be embraced uh, by the local staff and the ownership uh, as a Colorado brand coming into their state is you, you wonder if there's going to be any pushback from coming from out of state, but there really hasn't been. We're, we're definitely warmly welcomed everywhere we go, which is really great. Re people are very excited that we're entering their states with our products and they're aware of us. And uh, it's really great. Very awesome. Yeah, yeah. Name recognition goes a long way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take uh, our first commercial break here and then we'll be right back to chat more with Ari Cohen of Dixie Brands. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back.
opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.